All right, how's everybody doing tonight? Man, I'm so glad you were here. We are honored that you were here with us uh, this evening. And uh, we're going to keep going uh, through Galatians. Does anybody enjoy the study on Galatians so far? All right, good, good. I hope that you have got just pages and pages of notes. Uh, this has been a great stuff. It's been a lot of fun for us to study. Uh, if you haven't enjoyed it, then uh, I hope that you have gotten some great sleep uh, out of uh, the uh, the Wednesday night classes so far. So uh, without much other than that being said, we're going to be starting Galatians chapter 5. We have two chapters left in this book, and uh, they're a great way that Paul wraps up this letter to the church in Galatia and uh, as we're dealing with our faith, as we're dealing with uh, the fact that we are justified by our faith. That is not uh, anything else that can save us except our faith in Jesus Christ. And of course, Paul, he goes into uh, some other great things along the trail there, but the overarching point has become that it is only by our faith in Christ that we can be saved. And that is, what, that is the point that he's trying to get to this church. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start in chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 1. And I love how Paul wants to start off this chapter. And this is what he says. He says, for freedom, Galatians 5 verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, now this was this was very interesting for me as I was reading this because uh, we get into a, a very fun topic, and that is freedom. Uh, freedom is always a fun topic because everybody wants freedom. Uh, in fact, it's it's one of the the, the best. Uh, messages they'll hear in the prison ministry the uh, all time is freedom. That's a little bit of prison ministry humor. It's okay if you don't laugh. But they love that message down there. They love freedom messages. And the thing about freedom as I'm reading this is that Paul very subtly, Paul is a very subtle writer. He's not someone that is he is not so matter of fact as maybe Matthew or Luke is. Uh, but he's not so caught up in themes either. Paul is just very subtle in his writings that you'll see. And I love the way he ends this by saying, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Because you see, uh, something that I struggle with personally as I was growing up in my walk with Christ uh, was centered around the concept of freedom. Now, first let's understand this. The context in which Paul is writing is Paul is writing this in the context of you are free from the law. You're free from the law. And, and the law, the slavery that Paul is talking about is the slavery of coming back underneath the law. Okay, so that's the context that Paul is talking about. Now I'm going to input a different perspective, one that I had while I was reading this that I think could be applicable for us tonight before we go any further, and that is this. Growing up, and when and we've all been there, and we've gone through things in our lives, we've all had burdens, we've all had things that have stuck to us, whether it was something crazy like an addiction, maybe it was just emotional burdens, could have been bondage from, from any sort of source. 
We come down here to church, we come in the altars, or maybe we're in our prayer closet, and we ask God for freedom. We ask God to free us from the addiction. We ask God to free us from the burden. We ask God to free us from the bondage that we are underneath. And so what was challenging for me growing up is that when I'm in an altar, when I'm in a church service, and I'm believing God for freedom— then why do I not feel or why do I not see the freedom that I'm asking for? Are you with me so far tonight? All right? Because even in Scripture, not even just what Paul is writing, we see this again in John 8.36. And you've heard it. John 8.36 says this, So if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Okay? You may have heard another verse that says, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so we know that if freedom comes to us through Christ, then according to the word, I am free. And Paul is trying to relay that, and I want to relay that tonight, that if you're going through something and you have sought freedom, that you have freedom. The problem is, and what I realized as I got older, is that in the same way, I'm going to give you a little bit of a visual illustration, because I feel like we can learn better that way. That's, how I, that's one way I learn. You may not learn that way, but it helps me. If I take a dog, and he's been in a kennel for a very long time, okay? He just sits and stays in that kennel, can't get up and walk around in it. It's very constricting to him. And I throw open the door one day and I say, all right, you're free to get out. That dog is going to be so excited. He is going to run out of that kennel. He is so glad to be out. Now, after a little while, if I look at him and I say, get back in the kennel, what's that dog going to do? He's going to look at me and stare and be like, I'm not getting back in that kennel. You get in the kennel. You see what it's like to be locked up and you ain't got nowhere to go. But he's just going to stand there. I know because I've tried it. He's just, and again, I probably didn't train my dog very well. But he's just going to stand there and look at me and he's not going to go where I want him to go. The problem is, is that he has finally tasted freedom. He's not going to submit again to slavery. And I feel like where we can struggle and where we can mess up is that we have freedom through Christ, but we submit to the yoke of slavery again and again. And Paul, he puts that in there. He says, look, you have to stand firm. And he says, do not submit to the yoke of slavery. So what does that look like for us? Because I don't think anybody in here tonight is struggling with whether to go get circumcised or not, or whether to go back to the old law or not. I think it looks like this. Whatever you are seeking freedom from in your life, and no, it cannot be your spouse. Whatever you are seeking freedom from in your life, that was a little bit of humor again, guys. It's okay. We can laugh as church. Whatever you are seeking freedom from tonight, go to God. Ask him in prayer. Say, God, I need you to deliver me. I, I am seeking freedom from this. And God says, I will free you from that. I will offer you freedom in that, and if I free you, you're free indeed. What we have to do now is to stand firm with where we're at outside of that bondage and not submit to it again. And that's the challenging part. It's easy, and I say easy lightly. I don't mean it's the easiest thing in the world, but it's easier when we're dealing with 
problems in our life to come down to an altar and pray for them. It's hard and difficult when we have to step outside these walls and be practical with what we just prayed. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is the most, one of the most powerful things that we can do on this earth is pray. When we get in touch with the Spirit of God and we begin to pray and intercede on the behalf of ourselves and others, it is powerful. It can shift and do incredible things, but there's also a practical side to it. For example, if you're in here and you're struggling with alcoholism and that is your addiction, you are, you are slave to alcohol. And you come down here and you say, you know what, I'm going to ask God to free me from this because I don't want to be that type of person anymore. God will meet you here and you will experience freedom. Hallelujah, amen, and you will feel like you're on top of the world before you leave this church. But then comes the practical. Next time you're in the grocery store, next time you're at the quick stop and you pass by the cooler section and you see everything that you used to get, now you can't just simply watch well, I just got to get back to the altar. No, you've got to not submit again to the, to the yoke of slavery. You have to stand firm. There's two sides of it. And so... Let me just say that for somebody tonight, that wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, whatever the temptation is, whatever the struggle, the problem is, stand firm with what you know to be truth. Stand firm on the truth. Stand firm in what you know and what you believe and trust in the Lord with. And when it comes time with the temptation, when it comes time with things that you can cave and give into, do not submit to the yoke of slavery. Do not submit to it. Because if you submit to it, then you are going to find yourself back where you started. And then you'll find yourself wondering, was I ever really free? I know, I've been there. And so I encourage you tonight, if that's you, to stand firm where you're at and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Let's go to verse 2. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And, and again, as we make our way through this chapter, I love the way Paul talks. You know, he, he's just my kind of guy. I really feel like me and Paul could have got along. And so I, I love the way he says, look, hey, if that's what you've decided to do, if you've decided that circumcision, and when he says circumcision, he's including the law in that. That's what this whole argument and letter is about, is about accepting the law or not. And he says, look, if you want to accept the law, hey, that's great. You do that, but just know, Christ, you have, there's no benefit for you with Christ. There is absolutely no advantage to you receiving and acknowledging and following Christ if you're going to go to the law. And so, when, when I read that, I think, look, guys, we're all here in church. We all can. We all own a Bible. You know, we've all been to Sunday school and everything else. We've got all that experience. But if you are going to try and do things in your own power and methods to make your life better, then why do you come to church? Because Paul said it. If you're going to do it through the works, if you're going to do it through your own method, if you're going to do it through the way that's not through Jesus, then why are you trying to follow Jesus? Jesus is no advantage to you. If that's the way you choose to go, then, then don't even worry about that. 
I, I don't know if it's, I, I don't think anybody like that is in here tonight, but I've met people and I'm like, why are you in church right now? You could have just saved us all a bunch of time and just stayed home. Because they want to do it in their own ability. They want to do it in their own method, their own way. And Paul says, if that's the way you want to do it, I cannot stop you from going there. But just know, following Jesus Christ isn't going to do anything for you if you're going to, because you cannot do both. You cannot do both. You cannot say, I'm going to go my way and I'm going to follow his way. It doesn't work like that. Let's go to verse 3. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. All right, so a lot to unpack here because he says, look, let's go back to verse 3. This is what he says. He says, I tell you, if you're one of the guys and you decide I'm going to accept circumcision, you've got to keep the whole law. Now, here's the problem. If you remember several weeks ago, maybe a month ago, when we were back in Galatians, Paul said this. He says, it's impossible to fulfill and maintain the law. It is impossible for a man to do so. So again, I love, I love the way Paul is doing it. He just presents him with a catch-22. He says, hey, if you want to accept circumcision, if you want to accept the law and make that the way you live, that's great. But you've got to keep the whole law. And by the way, in case you don't remember a couple of chapters earlier, I already told you it's impossible to keep the law. And what Paul is doing is something I love to do is he's applying good, sound logic. I'm a big logic guy, all right? I love good, sound reasoning, good, sound thinking. If, if I think you're being illogical, I can't handle it. It irritates me. I'm sorry. That's just how I am. That's why I, I don't like driving with other people. Driving would be okay if nobody else was on the road. Driving would not be near as bad. It's the other people <laughs> where I have my problem with. I'm like, what you're doing doesn't make sense. You know, you guys know those people, they ride your bumper. I'm talking within six inches. They are on you, and you go, fine, I'll get over into the right lane. You get into the right lane, and what do they do? They slow down. They slow down. And then they just ride side by side with you like they want you to roll down the window and talk to them while you drive. I don't know what they're doing. And so what you do is what do you do? You speed up. Why? Because you don't want to ride side by side some weirdo. That's not what you want to do. So you just speed on up. Well, what happens when you speed up? They get angry. Then they speed up. They, they tell you you're number one with their middle finger, and then they just go on their way. And you're like, what in the world? All you had to do was drive around me. It made no sense. And I love what Paul's doing. He's saying, look, what you're doing does not make sense because if you're going to do this, you've got to keep the whole law. And if you want to keep the whole law, it's impossible. Let's go to verse 4. Verse 4 says this. He says, then here's what happens. And this is something that is, it truly is an awful thing to think about. He says, you are severed from Christ. You have no part of Jesus. And I can think of nothing more terrible than to think that I would ever put myself in a position where I was not a part of Christ anymore. 
I just, I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine having grown so close to the Lord and having seen what all He's done for me and how He's changed my life, and then I would knowingly take and put myself in a position that cut me off from that. But that's what this church is struggling with. That's what the people are having a problem with. They know Christ. They experience salvation. But now a group of people, people have come in and they have deceived them. And now what's happening is they're finding themselves cut off from Christ. And he says this, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Because it's, uh, that, at the end of the day, that's what it's, all, it's about the grace of God. It's no longer about the law. It's no longer about accolades and what you have to do and what you don't have to do. And, and don't get me wrong, we're going to go further into what grace actually means, okay? So I'm not saying you can live like a hooligan all your life and still expect to walk into the pearly gates. No, Paul even says you can't do that later. But what I am saying is that it's no longer the long list of guidelines that we have to abide by. I know that when we're in kids' church and when we're in Sunday school as kids, we teach them the Ten Commandments and this is what we live by, okay? But that's not what we live by. We know that that's the law. Now, don't get me wrong. It's good to teach your kids, don't lie. You know, honor your mother and father. Yeah, that's good. But we don't live by that anymore. We live by grace. We are under the law of grace. We are under the law now where Jesus came and said, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. And we'll see it later, and we'll go into it a little bit deeper later. But Jesus even tells us, he says, look, all the law, all the commandments, they can all be fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. If you do those two things, you fulfill the law. And that's what Jesus said. And so Paul here, he's saying, look, you have fallen away from grace. You have missed the entire point. You have, you, have, you have fallen away from the very thing that can save you because of what you have chosen. Let's continue a little further. Verse 5, it says this. It says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now remember, this is not our righteousness that we're wearing. Scripture tells us, he says, our righteousness, my righteousness, your it's like filthy rags. I don't know if you've ever had to deal with filthy clothes, okay? But it's not good. It, it doesn't smell good. It doesn't have a good look. It, it, it's disgusting. And he says, that's your righteousness, because if you go and you look at your past and you look at your mistakes and what you have failed at and the things that you have said and the things that you have done, and if you added all that up and then you added the little bit of good that we've all done in our own lives and you said, this is my righteousness total right here, it wouldn't look very good for any of us. But that's why it's not our righteousness. And that's why he says it's through the Spirit Okay, that's the advocate, that is the helper that Christ sent us as the Holy Spirit. It is by your faith in Jesus, through the working of the Holy Spirit, that we wait to take on the righteousness of Christ. That we wait, we hope, we believe by faith, we hope by faith that we will take on 
his righteousness. We take on his righteousness. And I love that imagery. I love the imagery of taking on the righteousness of God. Uh, scripture is a very cool thing. I don't know if you think the Bible is boring or not, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you it's not boring. Uh, um, I won't say that. My mom was mean with it. My mom would tell me, Chase, the Bible's not boring. You are. And that was always kind of hurtful at times. I didn't think I was a very boring person, but apparently I am according to mom. So, mom, if you're watching, I'm sorry. But the Bible is incredible, and what I love about it is if you can study up on the culture of how things went, and you can learn what things were like during that time, it helps make things so much more sense. Let me explain why. When you take on the righteousness of Christ, why did they compare it to clothes? What I love about it is that clothes were always significant to who you were or who you belonged to. That's why when you saw kings back during the times of the Old Testament, when there was a prophet who came and he spoke against the nation and they had to repent, they would take off their kingly garments. It didn't mean they got naked, guys, okay? Like, do you guys remember the story of David when the ark was returned and he was dancing through the streets and it says that he was undignified? He took off his kingly garments. I heard somebody say one time, David was so, he was so humbled, he was so, he was dancing in his underwear. No, he wasn't, guys. David was not in his underwear. What he did was he took off the kingly robe. He took off the piece of him that signified who he was. And when he took that off, he looked like any other regular citizen in the crowd. That's how he became undignified. He took off the, the semblance of who his title was. So this is the cool part. When we, when we, through the Spirit of God by faith, when we hope to take on the righteousness of Christ, remember, our righteousness is filthy rags. We are like peasants in the eyes of our own righteousness. Okay? We are like peasants. And then Christ, through His majesty and His beauty, puts His righteousness on us. And now when God looks at us, He does not see our righteousness. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus, and that is why we're able to be adopted into God's family, into the family of God, into the kingdom of God, because he sees, I know this, this is really cool stuff, and some of it may go, and that's okay, but some of you may get it. It's, it's incredible, because when he looks at us, he says, I see the righteousness of Jesus, and that is why he says, I can bring you in now. I can bring you in now. I can bring you in. Sin has no part of God. Sin has no communion with the Lord. But when he sees the righteousness of his perfect son resting on our shoulders, he says, I can adopt you. I can bring you in. Because it's not what he sees on us. It's he sees Jesus his righteousness on our lives. I know, really cool stuff. I, hey, I love it. Shout amen. Yes, amen. Thank you for really shouting there. Don't, don't sprain your vocal cords, please. I know you have to work tomorrow. Verse 7, it says this, and I, I'm really, I'm really going to kind of uh, 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 jump off the, the diving board here, and that's okay. I don't mind doing that. Because this is what it says. I'm sorry, let's go back to 6. I skipped 6. 
Don't worry, not going off the diving board yet, guys. We still got verse 6 to go through. It says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And I love this because now Paul just goes ahead and tells him, he says, look, it doesn't matter if you're this way or if you're this way. When it comes to Jesus, none of that matters. All that matters when it comes to Jesus, to being with Jesus, to being in that family of Christ, it doesn't matter if you're Jew, Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, white, black, boy, girl. It doesn't matter where you come from, who you are. All that matters is, is do you have faith in him that is working through the love that he's given us? The love of God was so great that he sent John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. We all know it. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It is the love of God that reached down and extended its hand to us. And when we have faith in him and we believe in Jesus Christ, that love connects. And that's the only way we get to Jesus. That's the only way that we get to be a part of that kingdom. And Paul just goes ahead and puts a period at the very end. He says, that is it. That is all it is. It is nothing else. And you guys are getting so caught up in arguing about who's right and who's wrong, who's circumcised and who's not, who's doing the right thing and the wrong thing. He says, none of it matters. He says, all that matters is, do you believe that Jesus Christ loved you, that he died on the cross for your sins? Three days later, he rose from the grave. Yes, I believe. Then you're a part of this. You over here, do you believe? Yes, I do. Then you're a part of this. And I believe that's still so applicable for the church today because we, we have a tendency as human beings to get so caught up in who's right and who's wrong. My goodness, we have denominations fighting against each other, calling each other out. And I understand that there's a level of accountability that needs to be had. But if we could stop all the bickering in the church, my goodness, Paul tells us very clear. All that matters is do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. Then I'll see you in heaven. I'll see you on the cloud. I'll stand right beside I'll give you a high five as we're soaring through the clouds. It doesn't matter. All that matters is, is if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I will see you there. Amen? Amen. It's time to cut out all the middleman, all the, all the he said, she said stuff. We get so caught up in, in, in one or two scriptures that have been misinterpreted or misconstrued and you got it wrong. No, you got it wrong. All we got to do is get that right right there. I know. This is really good stuff. Good job, Chase. Verse 7 says this. It says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This is where I'm going to stop a little bit. We're, we're, we're going we're to talk about this because I love this. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Hindrances in our lives can be disastrous. Now we can expect them because we know we know we know John ten ten. We know the enemy has has a goal. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He, we know that he has no goodwill for us. It's, uh, he wants to take us out, and so we know that stumbling blocks and, and and temptations and hindrances can come in our life. But Paul says you were running well. You were doing a good job. Things were going smoothly. You believed in Jesus. You accepted him as your Savior. You were growing in the church. 
but somebody hindered you. They stopped you from obeying the truth that you knew. I, th- I think of marriage, okay? Uh, so I haven't been married the longest time. I'm coming up on five years next June, so so we're just a little over four years now, me and my wife. And, you know, some days it feels like the honeymoon, and some days it feels like 40 years. But, hey, you guys know all about that. So, you know, that, that that's just how it can work at times. But w- what you may not know is this. I started doing some reading uh into marriage. And so I, I love Dr. Chapman's Love Languages book. Has anybody ever read that? The Five Love Languages? Yes, no, maybe. I think everybody in this room should read that book. Learn how to read your spouse through a godly perspective. It is incredible. And uh, I've got the book, and I'll, I'll loan it out to you if, if you don't want to go buy it. And I'll say, hey, read it. Bring it back to me. Okay, please bring it back to me. I don't have uh, many books. Uh, and so, it's a great book. It's all about how to, how to love your spouse, even if you're so different and whatever. But in that book, he presents the argument or he presents a statement that every marriage has a honeymoon phase. Now, we all kind of knew that. When, when you first got married, if you are married in here, when you first got married, you, it was that honeymoon stage, and you, know, you loved him, and he, lo- and he loved her, and it was just, you know, all, you didn't have no money, but you had love, and that was all you needed, right? Hey, that's how it was for me. We had no money at all, okay, but we had love, and that's all we needed. And so, you know, we went on the honeymoon, and we came back, and we had a great first year and everything else. But Dr. Chapman said that by that second year, that's when the honeymoon phase starts to fizzle out. It kind of starts to die down, and then reality sets in. And you start looking at them through a little bit of a different angle. Like when you were dating, you may have thought it was funny or cute when they wouldn't stop belching at the table. Now by year two of marriage, you wish they would shut up. When they were at the dinner table, you want to take that yeast dinner roll and shove it in their mouth before you hear them burp again. It just irritates you. The same way that guys, you know, because I did this with my wife, I would stay up all hours of the night talking to her on the phone while we were dating, while we were engaged. It'd be two in the morning, we'd be talking on the phone, you know, and it'd it'd, it'd be that mushy stuff like you hang up. No, you hang up. You hang up. No, you hang up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Just, just two kids in love. That's all it was. Now when I get home from work, she wants to talk to me for 30 minutes. I'm done. That's it. I've got like a 10-minute range. If you can't fit your day stories in 10 minutes, I'm clocked out. I'm done. That's it. I can't handle no more. And so we get into arguments about it. She's like, well, I just want to spend time with you. And I'm like, I don't want to go to bed. That's just, we're going to have to compromise and go to bed. That's just how we, that's just what we're going to have to do right now. It's just tough. Why? Because what happens is, is that there just comes a time. It's natural. It happens to everybody. Nothing's wrong with the marriage. It just happens where it starts, you start off on that high and, and, the, and there's actually research that there's just that chemical high in your brain and it just starts to come down over time. And by that second year, the honeymoon phase is over. The average span of a marriage right now in the United States is 19 years. So if you're over that, man, good job. You're above average on your marriage. Great job, guys. 
If you're beneath that, keep working. We're going to get there. We're going to boost those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. We're going to boost those numbers up. Did you know the year that is most common for divorces in that average is year two? It's when the honeymoon phase ends. When all the rainbows and the fireworks stop, when it just don't feel like it used to feel anymore, people ship out, they stop, they leave, they walk out on them. There's cheating, there's adultery, there's a, and the marriage just crumbles. It falls apart. But divorce, it's year two, and then it's years five through eight. Year two is the most common, but if you get to the first two years, you're most likely to divorce then between year five and year eight. After that, they say you've got a pretty good chance to make it. The problem is, is that with the marriage, it's the same thing Paul's talking about here. I'm not just going off in a rabbit trail, so hang with me. That marriage, it starts off so well. It starts off great. You love each other. You're sitting there at dinner, and you just you can't have enough of each other. You just talk to each other. You can't stop kissing each other. Just, you know, can't keep your hands off of each other practically. I know, me and my wife, we had two kids in two years. We really couldn't keep our hands off of each other. So that's just, hey, that's just how it was. Hey, look, hey, it's, look, we're all adults. It's okay. It's okay. You were running so well. And then he says this, who hindered you from obeying the truth? The same way with marriage, who hindered you? Why did this marriage fall apart? Why did everything come to a screeching halt? Why did everything go off the rails? Why did everything just stop suddenly? Who hindered you? Who stopped you from where you were trying to go? And a lot of the times, it's small things. It's little things. It's the things that we don't think anything about. It's the things that we just kind of brush up under the rug, and we think nothing else of it. We, we, we hope that it will just pass on by, that it will stop, that they will grow out of it. Something, we hope it just ends. Until suddenly, we realize that it stopped us completely. It's hindered us completely. And Paul says that. He says, look. You are doing so well. You got in this relationship with Jesus. You you guys loved Jesus. Jesus loved you. Things were going great. Y'all had a great thing going there. What happened? Who hindered you? Who stopped you? Guys, I want to tell you tonight, we have to be careful of the hindrances. Yes, there will be times that we stumble. There will be times that we fall. There will be times that we mess up and we make mistakes and we, and we slip into things that we shouldn't have. But do not let that stop you. Don't let me look back in a year's time, in two years' time, and go, you were running so well, what happened? Who hindered you? Who stopped you? Who kept you from going any further? Who kept you from getting to the place that God has for you? You do not have to run perfect, but you do have to keep running. And that's one thing that I had, I had to learn very quickly as, we, as the staff of this church prepped to go do this. It was Pastor Lot's crazy idea. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and blame him now because he's not here. 
He can see this later, okay? He can, he can fire me then if he wants to. It was this crazy idea to go run a 15K marathon as a way to build camaraderie and sportsmanship among the staff. It was a terrible idea. That's what it was. No, we really did, we really did have a great time. It was awesome. But I learned a 15K race, that's little less than 10 miles, okay? And along that race, there were 33 obstacles that you had to cross, spread out. About every quarter mile, there was an obstacle that you had to go through. Some of them were very strenuous. Some of them were not so much, but they were still all obstacles. They were not fun. And I learned very quickly while I'm running this race, okay, that slowed me down because that really took my breath out of me. Oh, man. And there were some, oh, that was easy. I got over that one. Let's keep going. I learned this. I cannot stop. Because if I stop, I'll never get going again. Some of you that are maybe a little bit older, you're more wise. I'll say it like that. You're a little bit more wise beyond your years. You know that if you sit down in that lazy boy, you ain't getting back up out of that lazy boy. You know. And so what do you do? You don't sit down. Not until everything is done. Not until the day is finished, you're done, whatever. Me and my wife are the same way. I'm like, Hope, come sit down. She's like, no, because if I sit down, I'm going to stop. And there's other stuff to be done. When you're running this race, when you're running the race of life, and you're, you're, you're chasing after Christ, and you're running after that prize, you're running the race set before you, Things can stumble, things can cause you to trip and fall, things can slow you down, but don't let it hinder and stop you. Because if you stop, it's going to be very hard for you to get up and keep going. Are you with me tonight? Is is this helping anybody tonight? I certainly hope so. Let's go to verse 8. And this is what Paul says. He says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Paul says, look, the hindrances, the, the, the belief that you've got to stop, the belief that you've got to do something else, it didn't come from the one who called you. The one who called you called you in the way that I preached to you. Let's go to verse 9. This is what he says. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Verse 10, and then we'll come back. Verse 10 says this. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. All right, now we've all heard verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And we, we all did that science project when we were kids, you know, or even when we were adults where you took, the, you took a basket of fruit and you took one rotten piece, and you put it right there in the middle of all the good pieces of fruit, and then you got up the next morning, and you looked at the basket, and what happened? They were all ruined. They were all bad. It could have been six good ones and one bad one, but they would all be spoiled. And we find that to be biblically true as well. Paul says, he says, all it takes is a little bit. And that's what I was talking about, just not, a, not only in our walk with Christ, but in all facets of our area, in our marriages, in, in our day-to-day lives. And I've had this discussion with uh, teenagers and young adults. Nobody wakes up. Nobody in this room is going to wake up tomorrow and go, I'm going to go kill somebody today. I'm just going to flat-out murder them. 
Nobody here is going to do that. What's going to happen is you're going to get angry first. And you're not going to keep your anger in check. And your anger is going to turn into hatred. And your hatred will turn into violence. That is how we quickly devolve. But it's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. Nobody who is married here tonight, if, you're, and if your spouse is with you, uh, please don't look at them when I say this, okay? I'm, I'm not trying to have an altar call right now. Nobody is going to wake up tomorrow morning and go, I'm going to go cheat on my spouse today. Yep, today's the day. It's a perfectly good Thursday to cheat. That's what it is. Nobody here is going to do that. That wouldn't make any sense. But what it is, it's going to start off with very small things. A glance here, a glance there. A small comment here, a small comment there. And things will devolve from there. It is the little bit that will spoil the rest. And we have to be mindful in our lives of the little It's easy. Guys, trust me. It's easy when the big sin shows up in your life and you go, there it is. That's the attack of the enemy if I've ever seen it. And I'm not falling for it this time. I'm a big Looney Tunes fan. I grew up on the cartoons and and Saturday morning cartoons with Bugs Bunny and, and, and all of them. It was great. And I loved it because I always loved the Roadrunner and the Coyote. Oh, Wiley Coyote. They were my favorite. Want to know why? Because Wiley Coyote always thought he had the upper hand on the Roadrunner. And he always had some big, elaborate scheme in place to, to catch the Roadrunner. And the Roadrunner would do one simple thing, and it would derail everything. He'd move one thing over here. He'd move this over here. He would, he would do one small little gesture, and that's what made it so funny. The whole episode, Wiley Coyote, he's just building and putting this thing together. He's getting a crazy suit to fly, a rocket ship to catch him. He's doing. He's tying a boulder up there with, with a rope that's going to swing down and hit the roadrunner. He's doing all this stuff. And when finally, when it gets time to, 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 to set the trap, roadrunner shows up, you know, and he does his little tongue thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all can already hear it in your head. He does, he does his little noise, and then he steps out of the way, and Wiley Coyote falls into his own trap. It's the little things. It's the little things that set us off course. In your own life, you have to be mindful of the little things. Not Watch out for the big things, yes. Yes. If somebody calls me tomorrow and they go, Chase, we're all going out drinking. Do you want to come with us? That's a big thing. And I can go, no. That's, no, uh-uh, I'm not falling for that one, Satan. Absolutely not. But when I'm on social media and I see an inappropriate image come up and nobody's around me and I linger with my eyes a little bit too long, that may not seem as big. Doesn't mean I did anything wrong. I just maybe lingered too much. But it's the small things. It's the small things that can set us off course. Let's go here to verse 11. Paul now, he's beginning to narrow it down. He's saying, look, guys, I know the whole church didn't suddenly just walk away from the faith. I know that somebody among you, whether one, two, or five, has started to speak lies into your ears. That's why he says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's just a little bit. 
Just one, two, three. If just a couple of y'all get to just saying the wrong thing and spreading lies, it could set the whole group of you off course, and that's what's happened. And so now Paul, he's getting ready to address this problem, and he says this. He says, look, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Rumors were now flying around that Paul was himself was going around and he was preaching that you had to be circumcised and you still had to follow the law. And Paul's like, look, guys, think about this. If I'm preaching that, why am I being persecuted for preaching Jesus? Let's think a little bit. Okay, it doesn't make any sense. Verse 12, he continues. Or I'm sorry, let me finish verse 11. He says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What's he saying? He's saying, look, guys, people are still getting offended that I'm preaching the cross. So the rumors that you're hearing can't be true. Because if they were true, and I'm still getting persecuted, and people are still getting offended, it makes no sense. You follow me? Paul says, you got to stop listening to what everybody else is saying. And trust the message that I gave you. Verse 12, we're going to go through this one. He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I will not go into the details, but I love Paul's anger here. Because he just says, I'm going to put it in better terms, uh, a little bit differently. He says, I just wish they'd shut up. I wish that they would just go ahead and just... That they are steering you wrong. They are, I hope that they would just stop. They would not have any kids themselves. Their line would be. I just, I just would just. I hope that whole family just gets cursed if they're going to steer this whole church off course. That's why when people come in the church, guys, and they want to spread lies and they want to say things that aren't true and whatever else, you ain't got to listen to them. You just got to ignore them. You let the Lord handle the rest. You don't feed into all that. You don't listen to all that. You just, hey, look, you go find somebody else to tell that about. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to hang on the message the Lord's given me. And I'm going to hang on the truth of the gospel. And I'm going to hang on what the Word tells me and the promises that God's given me. I don't care what all this other stuff you're talking about over here. You still with me? Great, because we're almost done. I was waiting for one person to shout with excitement. It's going to be really funny if they did. Verse 13, it says this, and I love the way he ends this. Like I said, Paul was going to come back to the grace issue. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, this is where we kind of get into murky waters in today's church. And Paul, you see, this is where I don't understand. It goes back to the driving and people not being logical while they drive. I don't understand how we get into all these arguments when Scripture tells us right here what the truth is. That's just me. You know, I don't know. That, that may not be anybody else's problem, but that's just me. Because it says this, you're called to freedom. You have freedom. Remember what we said earlier? We're not under the law. It's not all those guidelines. It's not all those rules and regulations. We're not under that. You have freedom. But then Paul says this, don't use your freedom as opportunities for the flesh. 
Don't take advantage of the grace that God is giving you just to satisfy your own needs. How many people live like that in today's time? How many people have been steered wrong into thinking, oh man, if I can just get saved, the grace of God covers everything from everything that I'll ever do until I die. And so now I can just go out and live how I want to because when I was 10, I got saved. And that's just not true. I'm sorry. If, if, if that bothers you or you don't like it, that's just the Bible. That's what it says. But there is still a standard that we must live up to. It's kind of like this. Again, I love, I love imagery and I love uh, illustrations. All right, anybody in here got a job? Raise your hand if you got a job. Praise God. I'm thankful that you all are hardworking people. At your job, there are standards, okay? Now, there's probably the bare minimum that everybody in here needs to do on a, on a day-to-day basis, Okay? And again, I don't know where you work. I'm just making assumptions right now. But there's probably stuff that you have to get done on a day-to-day basis to do your job. Now, you can probably, you have the freedom, okay, your boss does not show up at your house and force you to come in. You have freedom to decide, I'm going to get up and go to work today. You also have the freedom to decide that when you get to work that day, you can either sit around and do nothing. That's your choice. Again, nobody is going to make you do anything. And when I say make you, I mean like with force, force you to do your job. Nobody's going to do that. So you have the choice to decide if you want to work, but you also have the choice if you want to just go ahead and get busy, do all the work that you got to get done, maybe do some more or whatever, or do just enough. That's your choice. But there is a standard at your place of employment. And if you, after so many times, are not living up to the standard, your boss will say, bye. You're gone. In the same way, nobody here is going to force you to have to live a good Christian holy life. So yeah, you can come in here and you can get saved and say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and, and, and be Lord of my life. You can do that. And man, I will shout with you and that's an awesome moment. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's great. And you can walk out of those doors and you can live like the devil. But there's a standard that has to be met. And if you're not meeting the standard, when the time comes to collect the paycheck, he's going to say, who are you? Well, I... You, I, I asked you to be Lord of my life all that time ago, and he's going to say, I don't know you. You never lived up to the standard. You never did what I asked you to do. You never, do you see what I'm saying tonight? And so we're called to freedom. We have freedom. We're free from the law and the burden of it, but we, and we now have grace, and grace is a beautiful thing, but we cannot take advantage of that grace to just do whatever we would like to do to satisfy our flesh. We cannot do it. 
And then verse 14, he says this. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, remember what Jesus said. He said two things. And Jesus said, if you do these two things, you have fulfilled the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, look, you can fulfill the law if you love your neighbor as yourself. Because here he's not talking about the Lord. He's just saying about treating others and treating yourself and treating other people. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't go sleep with your friend's wife. Don't go beat up on people. Don't go curse people out and, and be rude and be hateful. Don't go steal their stuff. Don't kill them. If you just love your neighbor as you love yourself, man, if we could do that in today's world, we'd all, it'd all be a much better place. And Paul says, look, do this. Do this. You have freedom. You have grace. But you still, there is still the standard that you have to meet. Verse 15, we'll stop here tonight. This is what he says. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So since we're in this church, we'll use this church as an example, and we'll just use the people in this room. Okay, we're all one big congregation, Okay. And if we're going to grow and we're going to excel in the kingdom of God and we're going to go to great places that the Lord has for us, you know how we're going to do it? We're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what we're going to do. We're going to love people, bring them in, show them love, and, and, we're, and, and they're going to come and find Jesus, and that's going to grow, and we're, and we're going to win this city. But instead, on the other side of that spectrum, if we, if we come in as a congregation and we begin to bite at each other and we try to uh, uh, just destroy one another with our words and with our actions because we say, well, I'm free to do whatever I want because I've got grace. Paul says, be careful because you'll become consumed, consumed by one another. And soon there'll be nothing left. There'll be nothing left. I've seen many churches close their doors because they consumed one another and there was nothing left. There was nowhere else to go. If you will, stand with me tonight. Stretch your legs, but also just open your hearts just as we close for tonight. Paul, he, he brings all of this He's bringing this whole letter to a great close, and he is saying, guys, what you've been told was wrong, whether it was by one person or more than that. It was wrong, and I'm sorry that you had to fall for that, but listen, all you need is the gospel message that I preach to you. Live up to the standard. Love one another as yourself, and you'll be just fine. You'll be okay. Guys, tonight, if, and it may be nobody, but if you're in a place where you're trying to do it on your own, if you're in a place where you have not decided to put your trust fully in Christ, I implore you to come to that place where you say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust your word and what it says.
Because when we get to that place, when we come to the place where we put all of our faith and all of our hope in Jesus and what His Word says, we find ourselves a part of a family greater than we could ever imagine. And that is a place I want everybody to be. So if you will, tonight, if you bow your heads, if you close your eyes, I just want to pray as we close out tonight. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for everybody in this room, Lord, from from the front to the back. Father, I thank you for each and every one of them. And God, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has gone forth, that it has begun to, to touch the hearts of the people, that even now, Father, he's speaking into the hearts of those standing here tonight. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we have studied your word and then as we have read what your word has for us, that, Father, we can take this knowledge, we can take this wisdom, and we can go out into the world and share that with others. That, Father, that we can, we can love those as we love ourselves, we can share this true gospel message with others, Father. And Father, I pray that you would strengthen those, Lord, who may be going through troubling times, Father, that they would stand firm, that they would not submit back to the yoke of slavery in their life, Father. I just pray that you keep your hand over each of them, and I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a blessed evening and rest of your week. We'll see you Sunday.